Welcome to another episode of Records Revisited, podcast dedicated to the magic of music. I'm your DJ, your MC, the host on the East Coast. I'm Ben Montgomery, and joining me is the man who's had hangups, letdowns, bad breaks, and setbacks. But the natural fact is, he can't pay his taxes. Here's my co-host from the left coast. Here's Wayne Fugate. Hola, Ben. I mean. So for this episode, we have a special guest. He's the host of the podcast called The Pods and Sods Network. He's one of my favorite podcasters, probably because he laughs at all my really bad dad jokes when I appear on his podcast. So please welcome to the podcast, Eric Miller. Hey, guys. Nice to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. So uh, premise of our podcast is fairly simple. We talk about music, but as we do at the beginning of each podcast episode, we ask the all-important question. So, Eric, what T-shirt are you wearing? Ah, yes, the t-shirt question. I am wearing, I am proud to say that I have several Marvin Gaye options, Um, but I went with the, um, like the Obama artwork that said Hope, that style, that blue and red, Um, and it's Marvin Gaye, right? So, um, yeah, that's what I, I am proudly sporting that. I posted a picture on the Facebooks just as evidence, so yeah, proudly waving the Marvin Gaye colors. Absolutely. Nicely done. Thank you. Yeah. How about you, Wayne? What what t-shirt are you wearing? I didn't have Marvin Gaye, but I wanted something hood, and I got my ice cube. Today was a good day. Okay. Cool. Well, I, I, I didn't overthink this today. So the first t-shirt I grabbed out of the out of the closet was my Beastie Boys t-shirt, and I never changed my shirt. So <laughs> there you go. Wearing, wearing my, my check your head t-shirt. Ships of sale haven't showed up in a couple weeks. They haven't. You know what? Uh, I think I think the comfy shirt is is uh, far back in the closet right now. In fact, I I haven't been looking for that. So be careful. She might. Uh, Has Mary been getting ready for a purge? uh i know she's ready for another t-shirt purge but uh it's it's not gonna happen yeah she was she was complaining to me last week because you know i i i got three three shirts for for christmas time and uh she was complaining to me she's like so i've run out of hangers again for your for your your side of the closet so i think a purge is gonna happen real Mm -hmm. soon do you do that? Be on the lookout. Do you do that thing where you turn the hangers backwards at the beginning of the year, and then if you haven't worn it, it's the one that goes? Have you heard that technique? Oh no, I have. I have not heard of that technique. Yeah. I'm I'm pretty good about rotating my my shirts, though. I I don't I don't focus other than the ships of sail T-shirt. I don't really focus on just one T-shirt uh, a lot. So, anyways. All right. Well, I figured it was time that I uh, reciprocated having you on the podcast, Eric, because uh, you know I've been on your your show a couple yeah. times to do some some of your six pack episodes, and I can't even remember how did we land on the whole Motown subject. How did we end up deciding to do an episode about Marvin? Uh, well, I've been itching to do this one for a while, and I have a couple guys on my show lined up to do it. It just kind of never came together. And then when you reached out, you, I guess you asked for some suggestions. And I threw out a kind of a slew, kind of all over the map, right? Uh, but some of them you had recently covered, like Amy Mann. I think I threw out the Magnolia soundtrack. Um, I forget the other ones I threw out. But, you know, there were a couple that were 
kind of similar to what you had recently featured. Um, yeah. And then I, you know, I just kind of threw out some classic soul, Sam Cooke, Marvin Gaye, you know, the, the classics and you honed in right on either, you were like either one of those I'm, I'm all in. So, uh, yeah, we eventually yeah. set it with what's going on. I think we even went back and forth a little bit about Treble Man or, you know, but I mean, you can't, if you're going Marvin Gaye, you got to go with what's going on to start, I would think. Huh. Yeah, Agreed. I, I th- yeah, I think I I did throw out. Well, what about I want you? And then I started listening to it again. I'm like, it's there's a real there's a lot of filler on that uh, on that mm. album. I mean, there's a little bit of filler on this album too, but a heck of a lot more filler on on I want you. But yeah, well, here's the deal. So you know the format of our podcast. So we we chat with our guests for the first 20 minutes or so, and then we dive into the record. Uh, for that episode and so how about how about i throw some interview questions to eric miller <laughs> right on cool <laughs> right on right on <laughs> how long have you been doing pods and sods uh i think it's uh a little over seven years something like that uh somewhere in that ballpark uh it started with uh my co-host craig smith it was kind of his idea he was he's a uh, an avid podcast listener and he wanted to start one. And I basically said, you know, Hey, I'll be your, I'll be your Robin quivers. I'll come and laugh and call you incorrigible and whatever. Right. So that's kind of how, which, uh, which he is. Right. Um, so it would be, it'd be an easy gig. So that was the initial idea. And I think we recorded like one or two, like introductory style episodes. And then we quickly realized like, well, we should probably do some notes. We should probably prepare, you know? Um, so, I became sort of the note taking man and you know, he, he, you know, he's a bit more of a, the color man. I don't know how to quite describe it, but you know, so we did a lot of episodes together um, for a couple of years and then, you know, he started working on a book on the monkeys and, you know, various other uh, life things between us and um, you know, the pace slowed down and we decided like, well, you know, we should start doing solo episodes. So, you know, for the most part, we do solo episodes these days. We do, you know, um, record together, but it's 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 less and less frequent lately. Um, you know, not for any ill reasons or anything. Just you know, he lives a little bit further away. Our schedules don't necessarily, you know, uh, line up as well as they used to, and you know that kind of thing. So, um, and he, like I said, he's been working on his book for the monkeys for probably a year now. So he's. He does about one episode per month, I would say, roughly, sometimes more, sometimes less. Um, and I do, last year I did 88 solo episodes, which was um, quite a lot, I think. Um, wow. Yeah. So this year I'm not going to, I'm doing that thing like uh, Principal Skinner when he had uh, Bart in detention. He was like, see how many envelopes you can lick and then try to lick more envelopes in the next hour, right? So I'm going to try to uh, do more than 88 this year, but we'll see how that shakes out i was just gonna say you're gonna slow down at all or are you just <laughs> pushing 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 the accelerator even harder well i mean it, that's like two a week really that's not terribly uh you know onerous if you think about no, it don't don't get wayne started on two a week <laughs> yeah i got a job yeah <laughs> so it's supposed to be fun yeah yeah it's the the edit so you do the editing then wayne is that no, 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 he does everything. I literally just show up. Oh, on, and he still complains about it twice a week. Yeah, 
because I oh, meticulously prepare. Like it takes over my life all week long. It does. Yeah, there are some episodes. That's why I love that six pack format, and that's probably why I've been more frequent. Is because you know I can be a little bit more sparing on the notes. When Craig and I would do like an album deep dive, you know, like we're gonna do here, you know, I could have five or six pages of notes. It's crazy, right? You're, you know, yeah. it's a lot of work. And then, um, you know, with a six pack, I basically have a notepad that's like, you know, single spaced. It's not even a page. You know what I mean? Um, and I just prompt, I direct traffic and it's, it flows. You know, I try to keep it somewhat in the hour ballpark, which I think is a slightly more listenable, but you know, we tend to go over, I'm doing rush six packs as we record this and, you know, those are clocking in at like two hours, of course. Uh, so yeah, yeah, and just depending on who your guest is, you don't necessarily need any notes because they're going to talk the entire time for you. Yeah, like Ken Mills is going to talk the whole time for you, <laughs> right? Uh, John Lamro is going to talk the entire time for you, so <laughs> you don't even need notes, right? Yeah, and uh, it's also cool because I can, um, like, if it's usually I have two co I always have two co-hosts. Sometimes I have three, but usually it's two and we each bring two songs, hence the six pack. If it's an artist I'm not particularly familiar with or want to learn more or just, you know, feature them for some reason, um, I don't have to make any picks. Like I could just have you two guys on and you could each bring three. Right. And then my role is essentially, you know, introduction, crack some silly jokes and direct traffic like i said so and learn you know that's the that's the real beauty of it so you know i get to i just did one recently on john hyatt and i've always kind of known who john hyatt was right but i never really stopped and focused on him but i had two amazing fans john volsar and brad page both like describing like they brought three picks they put a lot of thought into it and they had you know uh, emotional reasons for why they picked these songs and you know, I just get to, this is great. I get to learn these songs and why, you know, they're magical to these people I respect. So it's been a lot of fun doing that, that format. Yeah. I thought I was a John Hyatt fan until I listened to that. I'm like, Oh, I guess I'm not a John Hyatt fan. Cause man, they went deep tracks on you. Yeah. Well, it's great too. Yeah. Cause there's, um, the one thing Brad said on that episode, which really, really struck me. I, I love that guy. He's one of my favorite podcasts is I'm in love with that song yeah. podcast. He's like, oh, yeah, me he's, too. He's like this next level dude. It's, it's, it's offensive. How, you know, how good he is right <laughs> to the rest of us. But he, um, he made this really great point about John Hyatt. There's John Hyatt has this record called bring the family. And I think it's from 87, something like that. <laughs> so good. Yeah. 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 And that's and my favorite John Hyatt. It's, yeah, it seems to be the common uh, sentiment. So the point Brad made was, John Hyatt recorded that album. I'm going to make up numbers. Forgive me if they're not accurate. He was a man of 27, let's say, right? And he was starting to have his own children. John Hyatt was when he wrote and recorded that record. Brad was a man of 20, right? I'm making up numbers, right? So he was a 20-year-old looking at a 27-year-old's work and his perspective in life. And then when Brad Page reached the age of 27, he started to have a family. So then this record takes on this whole other meaning you know, in the context of his age and his life and his experiences. Right. And he said, now I'm a man of whatever he is, 50 something. Right. And he said, you know, I look back now at it almost nostalgically as, you know, through the eyes of the 20 year old, through the eyes of the 27 year old, and still reveals more to him now through the eyes of a, you know, a grown 
you know, 50 year old or whatever. So I thought that was such a great point. I never really thought of, you know, how you carry these songs with you through your life. Right. In that way. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I purposely don't listen to Brad's podcast because (laughs) he just puts all of our podcasts to shame. He really does. He really does. I'm not going to listen anymore, man. You're giving me anxiety. Yeah. If I can make a dumb joke, I'm going to make a dumb joke about that. It's like when I was when I was 12 and I was listening to Kisses Christine 16, I thought, oh, wow, 16-year-old, that's great. And then when I was 16, <laughs> I thought like, oh, 16, that's appropriate. But now that I'm like pushing 50, I cannot listen to Christine 16, right? That's not uh, that's not a good uh, look. Anyway. Uh, I, yeah, I was just <laughs> listening to... Uh, John John has guessed it on on now the the name of the podcast is escaping me, but they were counting down their favorite yacht rock songs. Oh and, right, uh, and the one guy brought Benny Mardona's "Into the Night," <laughs> and and so it's like same same concept. It's like you start off the 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 song with "She's just sixteen years old, leave her alone." It's like um yeah now that i'm yeah. now that i'm a dad like it's, it's super creepy now right but right when i was when i was 11 and listening to it for the first time i was like oh 16 yeah nice right yeah 16 yeah. right that's hot yeah. but yeah you can't uh, plastic case if it was a different time right yeah well we'll we'll talk about the underage thing here as we get into marvin gay so um yeah that's true oh, he well, did marry yeah. uh uh, it was Janice, right? Uh, is that her name? Janice? Yes. Yeah. She was 16, yeah. I think, right? Yes. Wow. Yeah. Oh. There's all sorts there's all sorts of creepiness. I this is one of those one of those situations where um, usually I have a greater appreciation for the artist when I, when we do the deep dive and I think I have less of appreciation for Marvin be, because of just a lot of the personal stuff um but we'll 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 get to that here in a second so we keep we keep trying to get back to marvin i'm still i'm still interviewing you eric i'm sorry i'm sorry there is there is this thing of uh you know don't look too closely at your heroes in a way right like john like john lennon beat his first wife or whatever right like there are you know but does that detract in any way from imagine right no not in right. my opinion, right? So, yeah, I I kind of have learned to case-by-case uh, case separate the art from the artist as best as I can. So, in you know, in the case of Marvin Gaye, which we'll get to, sorry, I know you want to ask me more questions, but, like, in his case, <laughs> like, the, the tumult of his life fed his creativity, so it helps me understand it more, right? Um, you know, where in the case of... Uh, you know, R. Kelly, like just just him being a villain is not feeding, the, you know, in fact, it's making the content that he produced that much more horrific. Right. Yeah. So, anyway. Yeah. Good conversation. Yeah. Fill Let's in talk the about blanks. the weather. Yeah. Fill in the <laughs> blanks for that, whether it be Michael Jackson or Brian Adams or who, whoever else. So, yeah. Let's go to the, the the foundation. So, what started what started your music obsession? Can you, can you pinpoint a couple examples of what really turned you into the music nerd that you are today? Yeah, um, I mean that's a good question. We all have a unique uh, journey, I guess, right? So, for me, it was um, 
like my father is a musician so he he was a rabid fan of like prog rock in the 70s which is what i grew up on kansas is my dad's favorite band by a mile and genesis and you know rush and yes to a lesser extent even a little bit like sticks pat Benatar, you know kind of rock and hearts and that kind of thing right um but you know and beatles my dad had a great record collection had a lot of beatles in it and stuff so you know, I remember seeing the birth of the Beatles TV movie and then go and listen to my dad's Beatles records. Right. Uh, but I, yeah, I fully grew up on Kansas Genesis, all that prog rock. My first concert was Kansas when I was, uh, 11, okay. um, big arena show was the audio visions tour. It was when Kansas was getting slightly on the k- kind of disco side of things, which was an interesting era for them. Um, but, uh, yeah, and he played in bands, so my dad would have bands over rehearsing, you know, a couple nights a week. So there was just rock and roll blaring out of my basement. So that was kind of normal fare. Like I couldn't really get away from it in a way. Uh, and then at a certain age, I started obviously, you know, you grew up on your parents' music or your older siblings, that kind of thing. But there's a point where you start to, you know, find your own footing and your own start to discover your own identity and what you like and all that stuff. And for me, the the first three records, and I don't remember the exact order, but you know, the first three records I bought would have been weird owls in 3d, uh, survivor, vital signs. Um, what's the third one? Uh, maybe, uh, maybe like Europe, you know, in that era, like 86 would have been okay. really got into, um, Oh, rat out of the cellar. That was the third one. Gotcha. Um, so in 3D, out of the cellar, vital signs. Like it's 83, 84, 85, I think. Mm-hmm. And then Europe and, you know, that kind of stuff. So, yeah. And then, you know, as a kid, you read the liner notes. You just get like, you know, you just want to soak it all up. I'm sure I'm speaking to the choir. I'm sure you guys had the same experience. Well, I didn't have a musician dad for sure. And my parents, even though music was always in my house like i don't listen to anything that my parents did back in the mm. t- from back in the day um not even not even like nostalgically you don't like oh this kind of reminds um me. the only thing that uh i can really recall is when i was in college i stole my dad's carol king's tapestry cassette tape mm. that was about it like like even even uh you know my dad passed recently so i'm you know i'm cleaning out his his dental lab and he had just a ton of tapes in there and I'm, and my mom's like you can take anything that you want and i'm going through it and i'm <laughs> like all right. no i'm gonna <laughs> skip on the ray conniff and the johnny mathis and the Bronnie Millsap. i'm gonna skip all this mom i did i did take home so he had a paul mccartney live cd I don't, I, and he must have like, somebody must have left it in his truck or something. Cause there's no <laughs> way he bought it, bought it on his own, but right. Right. I, so I did take that. I did take that one. Wayne, how about you? Uh, w- w- what were your three first, uh, first albums that you remember? Well, they were all, I remember the first two albums I ever bought with my own money were, were, uh, rock and roll over and, uh, Dressed to Kill by Kiss. And I re- I remember them because I, I had to walk to the record store. There was a record store 
uh, I don't remember peaches. I don't know if you remember it, but on 56 and, oh, Pacific, yeah. and I walked down Absolutely. there with my, with my lawn mowing money and, uh, bottom and when i got home and pulled them out they were red vinyl and i was just i thought they were the coolest things ever the first first record i was ever given my my uncle gave me changes one bowie when i was eight and i remember that also because i I didn't know anything about records and i left it near the window and the sun warped it but not so bad that i still couldn't play it and i just watched the needle bounce up when it got to that that big (laughs) yeah my my first my first records that like my parents bought for me, they were all KTEL records. And um, that was, so just to, to let you in on a little secret, uh, that was kind of our first, we thought about doing a podcast where we would just go through KTEL records. Like one of our first episodes. <laughs> so we did. We, we did. We did a KTEL record and I think, what, 20 people listened to it and. <laughs> yeah, that was that was about it. Um, but the the first three that I bought with my own money, so I'm I'm embarrassed with the one that I I know for certain that I bought with my own money, and that was Olivia Newton John's physical. I oh, nothing to be embarrassed. That's about, all right. Yeah, uh, yeah no. um, I'm embarrassed. Uh, back then, that was practically porn. Yeah. Um, and then Journey Escape. And I'm not sure what the third one was. It may have been Def Leppard. Mm. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what the third one was. It could have been Christopher Cross. Um, Jesus. It very, it very well could be Christopher Cross. And I'm just throwing that out there because every time I say Christopher Cross, Wayne gives me the... <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. So, I do have a I do have another thing to share about uh, my dad in that regard because it yeah. just happened recently, and I thought I thought it was kind of sweet, and I'm kind of proud of it in a weird way. Um, you know, like I mentioned, Kansas was my first concert, uh, and you know, my parents took me and my brother. I have an older brother, right? And uh, I just recently, maybe it was in December, uh, went to see Kansas with my dad and my brother, my brother's uh, daughter, and. I do this thing where, like, as I'm watching the concert, I'm drumming on my knees like this, right? The whole time, right? And Philly Heart of Kansas is a brilliant drummer, so I do that nonstop, right? And my dad does the same thing, so I must have just intuitively learned it by sitting next to my dad, right? So here's me, my dad, and my brother, and we all three do the same thing. Like, the whole rest of the aisle is just doing whatever they do, fist pounding or sitting there stationary or whatever. But the three of us and only the three of us are doing the same drum thing on our uh, thighs with our hands right so funny thing i think it's pretty cool the things that we adopt from our parents right (laughs) right like my 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 brother my brother years ago gave me crap because uh my mom and i were both were both watching you know the the uh abc news or whatever it was and they did one of those, you know, the feel-good stories that they try, They used to try and do. I don't think they do them anymore because there's just, like, no feel-good stories to report on. <laughs> yeah. um, but but they used to do the feel-good stories. And then, you know, Peter Jennings would come on and do his little wrap-up. And at the end of it, I noticed that both my mom and I were like, huh, right at the end of it. You know, like, that was that was our wrap-up. And my brother was like, what the hell just happened? Like you guys both did, huh? Like at the same time, 
right. and it's like and i and i and when i when she was here recently um we were watching i don't re- even remember what we were watching but we did the same damn thing again That's where funny. it was yeah it's just, so the, the the stupid things that we adopt from our parents it's it's great that's awesome. Did I? So you were on one of my Christmas episodes, and you were talking about the tree that yeah. you were putting your mom's ornaments on. Did she appreciate it? Um, she didn't even say a word about it. <laughs> really? It 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 got put up. Uh, it definitely right. got put up, and and um, she will probably not come for Christmas next year. Um, so we probably won't have to put it up uh, again, but. For for those of you who didn't listen to that episode on pods and sod, so I was I was telling the story about how my mom, for the very first time in twenty years, was coming to visit me in Florida, and every year she always sends Christmas ornaments to my kids. Well, the ornaments are never never look like how my wife wants her Christmas tree ornaments to look like. <laughs> So we never put them up. Um, and um, so with my mom coming, we we have an extra tree for the upstairs TV room. And sometimes it gets put up and other times it doesn't. But we definitely put up that tree so that all of those ornaments were displayed. So when my mom showed up, she was like, oh, yeah, remember that Stormtrooper ornament that I bought for you, Jackson, you know, five years ago, you know, that kind of deal. So and she didn't even notice it. And you didn't feel compelled to like say like, hey, Ma, I got something I want to show you. Look at the truth. Look at this. You know, I probably should have, but I just didn't do it. Yeah. Yeah. That's funny. Anyways. All right. Well, we ask all of our guests the Toto's Africa question. So good, good or bad song. Oh, it's an incredible song. No question okay. about it. Seems strong, but okay. How's that even a question? <laughs> <laughs> and I'll say, and, and sister Christian, also an incredible song just for the record. Oh, there's random stretch. There you go. R- randomly throwing that in as well. <laughs> Well, you know, we're we've we've definitely been chatting about retiring the 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 question because I feel like it's 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 starting to lose a little gas, and I'd rather not have this be one of those. Yeah, you don't want to go too long. It's better to yeah. go, better to put it up too early. You know, it's this is not one of those situations where we're going to continue to do Laverne and Shirley after you know Cindy Williams has walked off the the set. So we're just not going to, we're not going to do that. So your Africa question is getting into the save by the bell, the college years territory. It, is what you're saying. It, it, or what I was feel the like one it, with, uh, I, uh, what was it? Valerie's family. And then she had a contract dispute and they wrote her out of the show and just called it the right. Hogan family. or something. That's right. Just went on like, no, I think they killed her in a plane crash too. Like, ah, she's dead. Right. And here's Sandy Duncan. <laughs> yeah. That's right. You know, it's like, right. what the hell? And no. Sandy. Uh, we got to figure out a new question. Well, maybe just replace the song year over year, right? So have a, a song for the year. Yeah, maybe you know I mean? maybe just to piss Wayne off, I should go. So Christopher Cross is sailing. Good or bad song? <laughs> just just so that I can hear I'm Wayne go. Do oh. better in that one. Uh, I'll do better in that race. I'll uh, that one. Will, that one sucks. <sighs> that that'll be. I'll be closer how, to how 
How dare you say anything bad about the one Mr. thing that Cross. this this whole Africa thing has done is just ruined my faith in humanity. Though I will say that. <laughs> How can I live in a world <laughs> yes. appreciate this song? Oh That's man! Fine. All right, all right. Well, yeah. let's let's jump into it. So, what's going on by Marvin Gaye? Eleventh studio album by Mr. Gay released in May of 1971, which was, of course, released off on Tamla, which was a Motown Records subsidiary. Um, recorded at Hitsville, USA in Detroit, but it was also recorded, some of the sessions were recorded at the Sound Factory in West Hollywood. And I think the, the beauty of this record is that the Funk Brothers are all over this record. And if you guys don't know who the Funk Brothers are, that was Motown's in-house studio band that was just made up of some just incredible musicians. So we always talk about the Rolling Stone magazine top 500 albums of all time. And Wayne, are you aware that this is the highest chart position that we've talked about to date? Yeah, you, there's only five other albums that could be higher. Yeah, this was number six. Originally, well, before this record, our highest was Blood on the Tracks from Dylan that we did with uh, Johnny Hickman from Cracker. And um, that was, what was that? That was that was in the top 15, wasn't it? Oof. Yeah, right. It was top 20. Yeah, because uh, Dylan does have a couple albums in the top 10 of rolling stone so blonde on blonde and highway 61 revisited both are in the, the top 10 after you've listened to this record a couple times do you feel as though this record deserves to be in the top 10 of all time deserves is a tough word i think it, it is one of the greatest records of all time in my opinion i think it a lot of it has to with it being number six, I think it has a lot to do with who made the list and the generation that they were from. And this is probably a lot more personal to them. I mean, if you grew up, if you were like college age, post-college right there in that Vietnam era, this record is probably a lot, hits a lot closer to home for you. If, if the, if the three of us were on and, and our, and our peers were the ones that made the list, I think it would be, in the top 100, probably in the top 50, but I don't, I don't think it'd be number six. I think a lot of it has to do with who made the list. So you think that there's a bunch of 65, 70 year old dudes who are putting together this list, considering that, you know, the top, the top albums are Beatles, Beach Boys, Beatles, Dylan, <laughs> Beatles, Marvin Gaye, Rolling Stones, The Clash, Dylan and Beatles. That's your top yeah, I think Jan Wenner and David Fricke and Robert Christgau and, and, and the likes of them. So if there's a bunch of, you know, 45 to 50 year olds doing this list, then what, what becomes our, what becomes our number one? I, I tell you, uh, nevermind cracks the top 10, um, appetite for destructions in the top 20. Replacements would be in there. Yeah. Yep. All that hipster stuff. Pearl Jam. I, I mean, a lot of the, I mean, Sergeant Pepper will still be in there. Abbey Road will still be in there, but I think the list would look different. I think the reason that what's going on is so high on it is the generation that made the list. Yeah. 
it's still one of the greatest records of all time. I don't dispute that. And if I, I would put it at least in the top 50, if I was making a list. All right. So, so, so they need to pull, they need to pull us so that Rio by Duran Duran makes the top 25. Is that what you're saying? I don't know the top 20. Okay. Top 100. I put it in the top Top 100. Okay. All right. You know what that reminds me of? You guys might get this reference. Um, When the Sledgehammer video was out, it was like the great, it was the video of the year, whatever the year that was, 87, right? And And then MTV would do like the 100th greatest music videos of all time. And Sledgehammer maintained that spot for x number of years right it was more than one it was several years right it it took um a few cycles before something could possibly even challenge sledgehammer right so you know what's going to crack that top 10 you know throughout time is it going to be you know oops i did it again is that going to (laughs) crack the number six spot right probably not like you know what's going to what's going to dethrone who's going to you know be the new king of the hill to dethrone any of those, right? It would have to be something significant. Yeah, never mind comes to mind. Yeah, but yeah, it had to be something huge. You know, during doing the research for this, here here's what I thought was interesting. So, you know, I'm listening to this record. I'm like, there's probably a good chance that Marvin won some Grammys for this record, right? And I wonder how many <laughs> Grammys he has, and think. it's like, nope. His first Grammy came for the stuff that he did on midnight love and that was at the end of his, his career. So, um, and I, and, and then I start listening to some of the, the, the other great songs that he, he did. So like heard it through the grapevine is one of my all time favorite songs. Like, it's just, I could, I could, I could put that on a loop and just listen to it for like an entire day and not get sick of it. So I figured, he probably won a Grammy for that, right? In 1968, guys, guys know who he lost out to? I do not. So Otis Redding sitting on the dock of the bay. Oh, yeah. he's he's got trouble with timing. Yes. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So he was also nominated for Inner City Blues for best R&B vocal performance for 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 this, and a and he lost to Lou Rawls, a natural man. Mm. You guys want to know the, the yeah. other male, male nominees for that year? Isaac Hayes, probably with Shaft. Uh, Never Can Say Goodbye, Isaac Hayes. Mm-hmm. Uh, Stevie Wonder, yeah. We Can Work It Out. Yeah. B.B. King, Ain't Nobody Home. And then Lou Rawls. And I, th- and I thought, there's no way he lost to Lou, Ra- R- Lou Rawls. And I, I did listen to the song. The song's pretty bad, eh? It's, it's pretty good. I don't know if it's inner city blues good but yeah. it's it's good yeah one of the things about this record we'll get into it is is the cultural significance right so you know when you're looking at art especially when you're looking at it backwards like uh, historically you have to think of the context right so those other songs you know they're they're not as culturally significant as inner city blues right like what were how they miss the mark on that you know like it's it's mending that's a great segue to the next thing that i was going to say so you guys want to know what the album of the year nominees were in 1971 here we go ready isaac hayes shaft the carpenters the carpenters george harrison all things must pass 
and then Carol King Tapestry, and of course Tapestry won for Album of the Year. Guess what? Right. Guess what? Then your dad. Guess what was not nominated for Album of the Year? This one. Zeppelin. This one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and Zeppelin. Yeah, Zeppelin wasn't nominated either. But that would have been Zeppelin three. Seventy-one would have been three. Yeah. 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 So I kind of alluded to the personal stuff. So in the day and age of biopics, are you guys? surprised that there hasn't been a biopic on Marvin Gaye? Yeah, I saw that question and I'm, and after I watched, uh, gosh, I watched some, one of those, those mockumentary things where, uh, they kind of retell, like, I think it was the last 24 is what it was. I watched and so that it showed one. his, yeah. And so when you hear, you know, kind of some of the story of his cross-dressing father and the abuse, and you're like, how is there not a biopic on Marvin Gaye? I, I don't, I, that's low hanging fruit. Somebody's missing the mark. Well, there's there's that. All right. So should we list all the good stuff that could be in a biopic? All right. So there's that. The cross dressing dad. Um, the fact that he married Barry Gordy's sister, who is 17 years older than him. What was her name? Anna. Anna Gordy. Mm-hmm. Um, so Anna couldn't conceive. So, um, Marvin essentially got her niece pregnant and she was 15. And that's, that's one of those things that none of those documentaries really want, want to cover. Surprise, surprise. Um, all right. So taboo. Yeah. So there's that, um, you know, all the standard drug stuff, um, you know, that's, that's, pretty legendary of you know he essentially part of him getting killed by his father was that he was paranoid because of he was freebasing um tammy terrell who was his singing partner um died really young of a brain tumor and that like put him into a, a a serious funk where he didn't record for a couple years like what's going on was I think the first recordings that he did after Tammy died. Yeah, that's accurate. She died in March of 70 and the two records before this would have been two greatest hits packages. One was called super hits and then one was greatest hits with Tammy uh, duets. So the last like record he did before this was the one with Tammy. Yeah. Um, Eat called easy with that, you know, so oil painting cover that, you know, the sort of brown tone one. Yeah. So yeah, this was that's right. This was the first work after her death, and you know, no question, it informs it. Yeah, no question. And then we alluded to the underage thing. So when he um, stepped out on Anna, um, that was with Jan, who was I think she was sixteen at the time, um, may have been seventeen, and I read some very unflattering things that she had to say. I didn't read her book, but I read some, some, some expert excerpts of that book. And like he, you know, essentially forced her to have sex with other dudes and yeah, just not, not a good story, not a good, not a good look on, on Marvin. So that's why, you know, I kind of threw that. Can you separate the, the art from, the person and that 
it's that's always such a hard thing for me to do. Like how, how do you guys how do you guys really do it? Oh, I yeah, I haven't really I haven't really done it. Anybody that's I can't think of anybody that that I've gone back to and listened to after something. I mean, I'm not a revisionist history guy, so I mean, if if you I don't, you know, I don't hate myself for having listened to him when I didn't know anything, but I can't think of anybody that I that I listened to that had a big scandal that that was too big for me to to, to get over that I went back. What about you, Eric? It's it's entirely case by case. Like I, you know, I grew up loving Michael Jackson, like you know our generation did or whatever. But uh, you know, I can't listen to it now. Yeah, you know, not even not even just hearing it in the background. I change the station, right? but like I said, in the case of Imagine, you know, it sort of depends on, um, you know, I did a whole episode about this, actually, separating the art from the artist. I had a, a, yeah. a pastor friend of mine on and a journalist who wrote extensively about this. Um, and the, the bottom line for me, it really is like case by case. And, you know, there's the gray area of I don't know how powerful or important the work is to you personally, you know, whatever the crime may be and the evidence around it you know what i mean like is you know is a hearsay thing as bad as you know um you know gary glitter getting convicted mm-hmm. thing you know what i'm saying um and it, that, like there's an example recently like gary glitter you know they just used that song in the joker um film and there's you know there's an argument to be made they use that specifically almost to make the audience uncomfortable with the <laughs> backstory behind it. You know what I mean? Right. Um, so it's, it's, it's even using that breaking the fourth wall in a way, but uh, yeah, I don't know. It's really case by case. What are your, how do you do it? Ben? You know, for, I think for, for me with, especially like with John Lennon is you look at the artist as a whole. So even though he may have, you know, been abusive to what was his first wife, Cynthia? Is that right? Yeah. So yeah. I, I look at I look at the artist as a whole. Like he, I felt like there was a progression where he identified things that were not right in his life, and I think that he tried to change them. Where it was, you know, let's talk about love and. You know, let's talk about trying to change the world. And um, was he perfect? No. I mean, I've I've listened to, you know, Julian Lennon episodes where, you know, he's talked about how his 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 dad pretty much ignored him for 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 many years. Um, But I think that he he was trying, at least. I think that there was that that willingness of trying to evolve as a human and you know like with with marvin i felt like just there wasn't that evolution you know it i felt as though him making midnight love and trying to have that comeback that was more of a cbs came bailed him out bought out his contract at motown and he didn't learn anything from it like he was still he was still a junkie Um, and that, you know, towards the end of his life, um, 
the, the whole reason why he was living with his father, who he hated, was he had just got to the point where he was bankrupt. Like the decisions that he made in his life forced him into living with his dad because, you know, he owed back taxes and he owed back alimony and, you know, his addiction problems were probably out of, out of control. So it's easier for me to kind of give a pass to John Lennon for his past sins than it is for Marvin Gaye, because you, you died with, because of those sins. So I don't know if I'm even explaining myself. No. Yeah. I feel you. There's, there's a, a point of view that Marvin, you know, how people might commit suicide by cop that he did it yeah. by dad. Right. Um, yeah. Which I don't, I don't disagree with that. I mean, you never know, but like, that's a pretty solid argument to be made. Right. And I'm, I'm probably more sympathetic on Marvin Gaye uh, because there's abuse involved. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Dude had a, you know, so it's not, you know, whereas John Lennon's case, you know, not that uh, causation, you know, erases your sins or whatever, but you know, if he was a dick, he was just a dick and beating his wife. Right. That's a thing. But, you know, Marvin Gaye's issues, you know, you could probably tie them all back to his childhood. Right. right? And he never got out from under them, which is tragic, which led to the, the litany of things that you mentioned. Right. Um, yeah. So here's like, here's one. We could do a whole episode on this, but, you know, Johnny Depp. Right. Um, how do you can you not watch Johnny Depp movies now? Because, you know. His violent. uh Adventures with uh, Amber Heard, I think it was, right? Where he chopped off the tip of his finger and wrote her name in blood on the mirror and all that stuff. Can you watch Pirates of the Caribbean after knowing that? Yeah, that's that's complicated. <laughs> exactly, right? So it's case by case, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. And I don't want to disparage Amber Heard, but divorce cases, um, I, it's always, it's, it's very difficult when it's he said, she said. And uh, I had never, I, Thanks to you guys. I had never heard the John Lennon thing. Now I have to, I have to rethink the whole thing. Oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry. Because <laughs> ignorance is bliss when you, I had a defense until now. I have a, I, I can bring it full circle. He was, John Lennon was accused of beating his first wife, Cynthia Lennon. But fortunately, Christopher Cross came in and saved the day. So <laughs> it took him a while to get there on his yacht, but he, once he did. He rode like the <laughs> he had wind. He rode like the wind. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, we both we both were thinking the same dad joke yeah. so it's uh yeah we spend way too much time together wayne that's all i can yeah, say it's becoming apparent it is let's jump into each of the songs so as a reminder our scoring is based on the number of songs on the record wayne how many songs on this record only nine which means top song is going to get nine points next favorite eight on down to our lowest score of uno here we go let's kick it off this is what's going on title track Someone does that here 
good is this song oh this is i mean for a guy with as many high watermarks as he had even prior to this this is a high watermark this that's i think one of the things that makes this one of the great albums of all time is is this is this concept that he ties all together but it's it's really it's got at the end and the and the beginning and in the middle these three three of his best songs i mean i would i would say these are probably and that's with I heard it through the grapevine and others. Yeah. This is probably my three of my his my his best songs. What's interesting to me is listening to the backstory of this, where Gay gives Barry Gordy this record, and Gordy says, "This is the worst thing I've ever heard in my life." I'm like, well, wait till 1983 when your kid gives you his demo. <laughs> 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 oh my gosh uh, uh, yeah that that's uh, uh would that have even charted had michael jackson not been on that song no, no. it wouldn't even have seen the light of day if his dad wasn't barry gordy yeah and and we're talking about uh some, rockwell. But, some somebody's watching me rockwell oh my gosh that's horrible anyways uh so Luckily, uh, cooler heads prevailed. I don't know. I don't. I didn't see where and why Gordy reversed his his decision to because release they released it. they released what's going on as a single ahead of the album, That's right. and it went to number one. So then he, it, to his credit, he re, he said go he said you know what because he realized he was completely wrong, and he said he let him do whatever because no one liked the whole idea of how the songs all. Uh, there's no, there's no breaks. It's like one big song. He, everybody hated that. It wasn't going to work on radio. He said, you know what? I, I was wrong. Do whatever you want. Go ahead. Make what, your record. Was it, was it because of the, the, the lyrical content that it wasn't just a, you know, ain't no, no, ain't no mountain high enough. Of, yeah. Well, no, I think it was a lot along the lines of Sam Cooke. I mean, this isn't what, people are used to hearing this isn't what, I mean, these guys sell records. They don't, I mean, if you all of a sudden become, have a conscience like Sam cook, I mean, I, later in his career started realizing that he wasn't even, I mean, I guess at one point he had to walk across the Atlanta airport to get to where the colored taxis were. And it's like, this is ridiculous. I'm Sam cook. Mm-hmm. And he took a bigger, I mean, same with Marvin Gaye. He goes from singing ain't no mountain high enough Heard it through the grapevine, all these Motown, lovey, lovey, how sweet it is. And he's, he's going to, he wants to say something. And that's, I mean, if you're the guy who sells his records, you're probably scared. Yeah. Yeah. Eric, what do you got on this? Well, I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's probably a bit of everything that you guys say, but if you're Marvin Gaye, yeah, there's only, there's only so, like he grew up in the church singing that stuff, right? Pentecostal, and that was baked into him, right? And then through the early Motown stuff, the songs you just mentioned, how sweet it is, and all that stuff, doggone, and all that. Like he's, you know, he's it's 
it's bubblegummy pop, right? It's our, it's, it's soul, right? But it's not, you know, it's not a change is going to come, right? So if you're an artist, if you're a guy and you have this clout, you know, why would you not take it to, to try to say something more and where he was in the world and in his life, his, his best duet partner, Tammy Terrell just died in his arms, right? Almost literally. Um, the year before he, you know, maybe had reached, um, a full, a fill of singing those songs. You know, we have Kent State, Vietnam, Bobby Kennedy, MLK, Malcolm X, right? All these dark things converging the end of the sixties. Why would he not take this time to evolve? Right. If you're an artist, that's what you do. Right. Um, so, you know, I, I get it. You know, I think it's, you know, I think it's an important thing. And he, yeah, I absolutely, I absolutely agree with what he did. I just, I was looking at it from the perspective of Barry Gordy and why would he not want to do it? Well, yeah. And that's, that's, what's complicated for me is, is so Gordy had moved Motown essentially out to LA because he felt like one of the reasons was that he wanted to be closer to where everybody else was recording. But the second thing was he wanted to be more culturally relevant um, in being in a big city like LA where things are happening. Well, guess what? Things are happening in LA. Um, Things are happening all over the place. You want to be culturally relevant? then you put out a song like what's going on that, that basically to your point, Eric is echoing. This is the end of the sixties and man, things don't look good. You know, we, we put all of our eggs in our, in the basket of, of Bobby Kennedy and he's gone. We, you know, MLK, he's gone. Vietnam war is still going on. And it's like, why not put a song out like this that that basically is echoing what everybody else is feeling like they don't want to hear the lovey doveys they want to hear that everybody else is in the same boat where they're just like really what we need to change some stuff yeah i I pulled a quote from him i don't know when he said this but uh, marvin said with the world exploding around me how am i supposed to keep singing love songs yeah absolutely yeah Absolutely. And, uh, you know, and on top of all that, there was a sitcom based in a German concentration camp. Okay. <laughs> it's the worst horror of the time, right? Yeah. Ridiculous. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. And, and I didn't even bring up the fact that uh, on the charts, so this was a number two Billboard Hot 100. Uh, absolutely was a number one song on the R&B B charts. But um, everybody was listening to this song. So... Anything we want to talk about with the lyrics? Uh, I, I, the lyrics are great. I love the way, I mean, what's going on has this duality. It's this kind of casual greeting, hey, what's going on? Which I think it kind of portrays with all his buddies yeah. from the Detroit Lions and everything, kind of kind of this walking into a party kind of a feel. Uh, and then, then it goes into what's going on with the lyrics is like, what is going on? But it has this, this easy, very soulful feel to it. And these very uh, heavy lyrics. I mean, when you look at them, I mean, just from the very beginning, you know, all these mamas crying and all these brothers dying. I mean, and the, 
the kind of the, the combination of the war in Vietnam and, you know, this is this, the civil rights, uh, there's riots in Watts, there were riots in Detroit, there were race riots all over the place. Yeah. Great, great tune. Great tune. All right, let's get some scores on this. Wayne? Uh, eight. Eric? Nine. This is the, this is the song. This is the song. Uh, it's, it's, yeah, it's rough on this record, but I mean, yeah, on this one, this is the one. Yeah. There's there's three songs that could be interchangeable for my top one. So, yeah, uh, this is this is my eight. So, all right, next song is "What's Happening, Brother." What else is new, my friend? Besides what I read, can't find no work, can't find no job, my friend. Money is tighter than it's ever been Say man, I just don't understand What's going on across this land What's happening, brother? Yeah What's happening? What's happening, my man? I think this is This is the song That is more Um I think it's more personal, even though what's going on is, is pretty personal of, you know, lyrically talking about how he's feeling about the world around him. The what's happening brother is he essentially wrote that for his brother who had spent some time in Vietnam. And, um, uh, you know, you can, you can take a look at, uh, a lot of the, the the lyrical content for this, and yeah, it, I think it, this is this is pretty personal stuff. I do like the song when he kind of breaks out of character, his singer character, to stay, you know, to say stuff like "What's happening, my man." That's probably my favorite part of this song. Everything is everything, right? Yeah, yeah, all that stuff is great. Yeah. Um, and if you're not, if you don't know who his brother is, so it's Frankie Gay. And, uh, so when you, when you think of when he's saying brother, that could definitely be in the figurative, figurative terms of, you know, a friend or a brother in arms or his literal, literal brother, which is Frankie. And I didn't know this. Did you guys know that Frankie was also a recording artist? I did not. Hmm. So here's here's his discography that I found. So he had uh, 1979. He recorded a record called Penitentiary. 1990, My Brother, and then his last record was the very best of Frankie Gay. <laughs> so it's a little early for a greatest cool. hits, but okay. I think it's a little early for a greatest hits when you only put out two records. But you know, hey. Who am I to judge? I don't have I don't have any records to choose from for a greatest hits record. So I like the Congos at the end of this, the bleeding of the percussion into the next song, which we haven't really even talked about. This is this is kind of a concept record, right? Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I think this this really these first three songs, I think, really really get it going. I mean, and this one is real important to that. Like I say, this this conversation from this guy coming back from Vietnam 
you know, he's even references, you know, how, how, how is the base, how's our ball club doing? Are they going to win the pennant? All this wants to know all this stuff he met that he missed when he was gone. Um, And the drums are definitely the big difference between this one and what's going on. It really, the percussion in this one is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. The last lines of this, the song, I think ties into what you, what you were saying, where it's like, What's been shaken up and down the line? I want to know because I'm slightly behind the time, and that's because I yeah. spent the time in Vietnam and wasn't watching what the Yankees and the Giants were doing at the time. So, yeah, yeah. I want. I just want to make a point, kind of before we proceed about. So you you touched on a little bit there, Ben, about um, this being a concept record. Like the sounds there's so many layers on this record, right? In every track, there's just so, it's so rich, right? Um, and, you know, that's intentional. Like you compare that to what he did three years earlier, right? And those songs are great, but they're not nearly as deep in terms of layers, right? No. So you talk about the congas here, right? There are or, there are orchestral sweeps that, you know, build, right? There's you know, there's random bells and chimes in this song in flutes. in what's going on flutes, right? Yeah. As we go on, there's um, and and there's this thing that he's doing that he kind of always did, but I think he's like smarter about it at this point in time, where he's he's more comfortable in his voice. Like he he has like three voices that he sings in, right? So he sings in that those lower tone um, chest voice, if you will, right? And then at a point in time in his career, he kind of, he learned to do like a growly thing, right? And he he has such control over that. And then when he's singing falsetto, it's like the fullest falsetto. I can't think of anybody that ever sang falsetto better than Marvin Gaye, right? And, and he has those three things. And again, this is coming from the church. This is coming through R&B. But by the time he gets here... And he has something that he wants to say. He has all those pa- those colors on his palette, right? And he uses them like with such dexterity. Like he goes between those three voices, and they they add so much more in terms of layering, right? So you know, even background vocals on all these songs. And I'm saying this this is kind of true across all the tracks on this record, right? Like if you you can listen to the isolated vocals. They're even isolated background tracks. Yeah, you sent you know, me one harmonized. today. So good. Yeah. Ugh. He's harmonizing with himself. Like he's he's using all those voices and he's really like just, you know, putting all this paint on this canvas, right? To paint this amazing picture. Um, I just wanted to say that because, you know, it that like I said, that kind of goes across all these songs and, you know, the musicians, you said Funk Brothers, there's James Jamerson on here. There's... Um, Eli Fontaine on sax. The background singers are—they sound like angels, like literally. You know, there's a song coming up where they—you know—they're kind of singing the role of Mother Earth. Like it's—it's it's some heavy stuff, right? There's there's a lot lot going on here. So I just wanted to throw that out. Yeah, yeah. All right, should we get some scores on on this one? <laughs> I said all that, and then you said, "Yeah, yeah." Uh, no, <laughs> no, I I don't have anything right. to. I, I don't have I don't have anything to add to it. I'm just like preach, preach. Yeah, yeah. All right, Wayne, your score. Uh, five. I think it's uh, super important to the story and and uh, just mm. very just so much. Yeah, like you say, rich textures in this. Yeah, yeah. Eric. 
I'm going to give this one a six. And I just want to point one bit out on this too, where I was talking about he's has all these things that have converged to this point in time as an artist. Like listen to the way he says the, the, the newspaper said the way he sings newspaper, right? Like he stretches out that first syllable and you know, that's him like trying to be Frank Sinatra, mm-hmm. you know, whether he's aware of it, it's just in his DNA. So you can hear all these little flavors and these little spices that he's accumulated. So yeah. Anyway, yeah, I give this one. This one's uh, my number six on this record. All right. And I'm uh, I'm matching Wayne's five, which doesn't make me feel good that we're 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 going to be in sync on a lot of the, our scores <laughs> here. So that's never a good thing. Um. All right. Next song is "Flying High in the Friendly Sky." I can't remember Wayne. Was it you or was it Eric that talked about the duality uh, of uh, of Marvin Gaye? I did. I mentioned it, but I know I know Eric felt it. This is definitely him talking about his demons, right? Yeah, I mean, but it ties into the the concept because I mean, yeah, all the guy, a lot of those guys that came back from Vietnam had heroin addictions. Um, but yeah, I, I'm sure he's got some personal experience to 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 uh, draw on. Yeah, and he even kind of mentions he's like, uh, "So stupid minded, I can't help it." Oh yeah, so stupid minded. I mean, and he even what was what was one of the the lyrics towards the end? Um, well, I know I'm hooked, my friend, to the boy who makes slaves out of men. I mean, he knows he's going down the wrong path. But it's part of the, I don't know if he is, is trying to throw that out there where it's like, Hey, I need some help. Or uh, I don't know if he is just essentially saying, well, this is just part of where our culture is. And I'm just going to keep flying high because there's a lot of other people who are doing it. That's, that's what I can't get out of this song is what, what is, what is the trajectory of of the the lyrics, or do I read it in that dual nature? Yeah, I mean, uh, who's to say when he started using? He could just be mirroring what he's seeing in the world around him, right? But I I will say this too. Again, thinking of his arc uh, in his life, right? This is probably the first time we're getting like a real Marvin in terms of like. His struggles with paranoia and depression and abuse and addiction possibly in the song firsthand right um you know again you you weren't getting that in, in going back to dog on again you know but you know this is this is kind of the real true him you know more than ever i would think yeah so you know even if it's not him firsthand it's definitely something that uh you know could be metaphoric right um or could be I mean, the line is self-destruction in my hand, right? 
You don't hear that in how sweet it is. (laughs) (laughs) Wayne, what you got on this one? Um, I I gave it one of my lower scores, but it's, um, and I I feel like a complete ass for even, because there's some things about it that I didn't like, like I felt like it could be done better. And then I thought, gosh, you are a pompous asshole. And then, (laughs) but then some of those things, as I listened to it more and more towards the week, and um, because one of the things I didn't like was the, the choral singers. I think they, they, I thought they maybe should have been used more. They kind of fade in and out. Um, but I think that's perfect for, I mean, this guy's high on heroin and he's, and the one, another one was, there's a snare that kind of really is really loud. And then some cymbals they're back in the mix and they're not, they're distracting. And I thought at first I didn't like it, but then I thought, you know, I mean, if you're high on heroin, those are probably the noises from reality that are kind of pushing through it. And I'm like, now it's, that seems brilliant. Now, now I like really feel bad. That's a great point. Yeah, I noticed that there's like a there's a snare where he's playing with brushes, right? And it's real like it swings, you know. And yeah, it comes up in the mix, goes down in the mix. I didn't think of it in the context you're saying there, Wayne. That's awesome. Yeah, maybe I'm going to answer my own question. Maybe this is the this is the I'm I'm definitely I'm definitely hooked on something. And then the next song when you segue into Save the Children, where he's like, maybe that's your maybe that's your plea. I don't know. Yeah, and I, I think if you listen to the, and we'll get, I know we'll get to maybe getting a little ahead of it, but I think one of the things I noticed later in the week is I, the way it starts, it, it really kind of, it's hard to to figure. It's hard if you're not looking at it. It's hard to see exactly where flying uh, flying high in the friendly skies ends and save the children begins. Yeah. And I think it's that junkie is the one that's part of his his heroin, you know, dream or whatever that that he it starts out like that. Like he's saying we got to save the kids. Like, cause he, I mean, he was a kid at one point and now, now here he is. Right. Right. All right. Well, let's, let's get some scores on this and then we'll keep talking about this when we segue <laughs> into save the children. All right. This is my three Wayne. Wow. Uh, I, this is also my three. You're right. Know. This is weird. I don't like this it. Is, Make it stop. <laughs> you guys, you guys like it better when you're more at conflict. Is that yes? Real? Oh yes, yes absolutely. Yeah. That is our relationship. <laughs> I will. I'll try to find a wedge to drive between you. As um, I'm putting this one. If I'm putting this one at my two, and it's one of those things. Like it's, it's, it's just, it's just the least best. You know. Yeah. It's rough. Yeah. Next song is Save the Children. See, let's let's save the children. Let's let's save all the children. Let's continue our conversation. Let's. So, so I guess my my question on on this song is, uh, it definitely feels as though he is lamenting a little more 
I think the previous song he's he's just talking about how he's you know a junkie but this one I feel like it's more of a well we could still do something let's 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 save the children and I think he is trying to reference himself as as one of those children here's so I don't know if you guys listened to the deluxe version I yeah I did listen well I think that's what it was but on Amazon they had there's probably three more songs they were made yeah, in single versions of, of others. Right. So so one of the songs that's on the deluxe version is Sad Tomorrows. And I feel like that would have been the perfect follow-up song to Flying High. Um, and when you listen to those lyrics to that song, I think it was intended to be the follow-up to Flying High since it references a few of the lyrics of that song. But I think in the overall concept, it seems like you, you dial back that sad tomorrows and it's like no we're gonna we're gonna tie this back to what's going on of trying to be culturally relevant trying to um, pinpoint uh that there is an opportunity for us to change the world and save the children and i think that that's that's why this seems like a good segue from the previous song the other thing I'll just throw out there, children doesn't necessarily is thin that to be literal. It's just no. innocence could be innocence, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um the the thing I really enjoy about this is you know, to the point you guys have both made about the duality, right? So there's like he's he's doing that almost real direct questioning the listener, like he's almost challenging us the listener, right? And then the there's the second vocal which is like him doing that falsetto thing where he's almost yeah. he's wailing, you know, with this, you know, it has like a, a sadness to it, like a disparity to it or um, despair to it. Right. Um, yeah. I, I think it's, uh, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily think of flying high as first person as you guys do. Um, <laughs> so that's, that's interesting. Uh, yeah. I, and I think of, I think of these songs as a collection of songs. Like if you're, Again, if you're if you're this artist and you're at this point in time in history and you're trying to make a statement, you're going to, you know, you're almost going to make a list of, you know, war, uh, drugs, um, yeah. you know, the environment, uh, poverty. Right. And, you know, he kind of ticks off, you know, the issues that are facing us all, you know, whether he's personally experiencing them or not, he might just be witnessing them. Right. So. Um, and there's a lot of faith wrapped up in this record too. Like we'll get to that, but mm-hmm. you know, um, yeah, I think I, I think he's doing that kind of thing. Like um, you just said, it, Ben. Like if we if we view ourselves as empathetic people, and we're listening to this and we're hearing this question directly posed to us, you know, um, how would we not feel that, right? Especially if there's like layers of background singer of gospel (laughs) it's all it's all it's all you know uh, stacked against us to you know to be anything but empathetic yeah and hopeful yeah um one tidbit on this song so this song was actually issued as a single in the uk um was not issued as a single in in the in the states um and it charted it it only peaked at number 41 on the charts but i don't i don't hear a single from this which i think is super interesting that this was a single in the uk well on the and like i say the one of the things is uh 
they did completely i mean not completely i guess that's an exaggeration but the re, the the single edits are different i mean there's yeah they 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 are more radio friendly yeah i did, was there a single edit for this one i don't think i heard that um, on the any of the i know i'm I, i'm probably thinking of the god is the next song but uh yeah i could have swore i heard one on this one too okay all right. And there was like a re there was a remix by Jellybean Benitez was a twelve inch version. I'm not kidding. Sorry. Jellybean. <laughs> Haven't heard that name forever. <laughs> uh yeah, that's been uh whew, I haven't heard his name since uh the early nineties. So good on you pulling right. yeah. out one. All back. Did I, did I get some kind of no prize award or something? <laughs> something, for that. something like that. Uh Wayne, your score on this. This is my least favorite, the spoken word and the singing part. Um, but just like uh, as I listen to it, there's more. I feel like there, I feel it's important because this and and I think one of the songs towards the end, there's a lot of similarities between them. And I think they're, they're kind of links to, to hold the whole thing together around those three kind of pillars that we talked about. Yeah. Yeah, this is my two. And then Eric? Uh, actually, I want to just challenge Wayne a little bit. The, <laughs> the, the spoken word, the spoken word you said you didn't like that. Now, uh, or just I'll just ask you, listen to it again of what, like why he's using the spoken and why the wailing voices behind saying almost the same thing, right? Like, why would he make that choice? I think that's, I think that's interesting. Um, but uh, I put this at five. This is my number five. Okay. And it's because of the production thing? Of the spoken word versus uh, the choir. Yeah, yeah. I think it's. Uh, I mean, I, I'm not going to call it a gimmick, but I think, I think he's going for something. And I think he's using the tools that he has, and I think he, I think he hits it. Yeah. You know, not as much as the others, obviously, but uh, it's, it's middling on this record. But uh, you know, I think effective. Well, to use a Lamoureux term, is this your curio? <laughs> and and think of it too through the context of you know if you're, if you're you know, a mom in, you know, an urban setting and you have a child who's struggling with drug addiction, right? And you're hearing this song, how much that is going to speak to you. Oh, yeah. I mean, right? I felt bad. Just I felt like giving this my least, you know, my number one meant, meant that I didn't want to save the children. I already feel grief about it. I, I agree that I, well, I think I, what he's doing right. is is brilliant. Uh, I just it it was it had a distracting feel. And I guess it was made worse by the fact towards the end he stops the spoken part and he's right. doing more of the singing and i think it really ends strong i don't know you that well Wayne, but I'm, i always do this to john lamory well i was just like why do you hate children <laughs> yeah see, i saw that coming <laughs> and and uh i'm i'm helping the children these days because i'm i'm buying girl scout cookies right now oh yeah they're hard to so find, i'm so. i'm helping the children Nice. All right. Well done. Here we go. Here's here's God is love. And all he has of us is we give each other love. Oh yeah. Don't go and talk about my father. Cause God is my friend. Jesus is my friend. He loves us whether or not we know it. And he'll forgive all our sins, give our sins. Oh, yeah. And all he has of us, oh yeah, is we give each other love. 
what do you guys have to say about this? So we we've already talked a a, a, a little bit about the whole gospel influence. So it's definitely on this one, right? Oh yeah, this one a um, little too saccharine for my atheist uh, tastes. Uh, <laughs> like I get the. I get the import to like church people, especially at the time, right? But it doesn't speak to me through my 2020 eyes, right? Um, maybe if I was in 1971 and I was a churchgoer, it would be a different story. But, you know, I'm down with the, the giving love, giving each other love. Um, that's that's cool, of course. But, uh, yeah, just just a swing and a miss for me, just contextually for me in my life. But Eric, do you want me to, to, to read word for word what my um, what my notes were for this? Because sure. you kind of beat me to the point. So I said, Sorry. so th- Eric, this could be an interesting song to talk about. Since I'm a friend of yours on Facebook, I know your religious views. Did that have something to do with your score? Yeah. <laughs> uh, one of my one of my best friends is a pastor. Figure that out. Well, that, um, that's good. You know, but yeah. but I and I have similar views. So I I definitely looked at this in the sense of number one, it was super short, and it was very it had a much more um, accessible sound. It was it had the the groove and the kind of the whole thing that the first two songs had. And I mean, and I get, I cut him some slack because he's trying to tie this all together in this concept with, you know, here's all these problems as you know, and here's how, you know, here's one way we're going to solve them. I, whether I agree with them or not, I'm, I'm letting him, I felt like it worked and there's some damn fine tambourine in this. That's, this is the second record in a row we've done where somebody knows how to play the tambourine. Oh my goodness! You brought up the tambourine again, man. Like every episode, I feel like you're bringing up a tambourine reference. Well, it's usually bad tambourine. This time, you are fixated. It's because the thing is so annoying if you don't do it right. Yeah, you gotta find your spot yeah. for the tambourine. It just doesn't fit in every song. There you go. There you go. I like I like what you said, Wayne. That this is uh, this is gluing together some of the problems, so it's not just all despair gloom bleakness right yeah this is you know this is a spot of hope so so eric you brought up a good point where you're like you know one of my best friends is a pastor i think that that's that's one of the 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 things that i think i like about this song is i think he's i think he's preaching a little bit but then he's also saying look we give each other love and that's whether whether or not I'm I'm the guy who is is uh, praying to God and you're not. Look, we're under the same sky, and we can we can love each other despite our beliefs. Like I'm sure I'm sure your friend who is a pastor doesn't pull you aside and go, Eric. Because you don't believe, you're going to hell. Does he ever have those conversations with you? No, that's not the reason he says I'm going to hell. <laughs> that's not irrelevant. Right. It's because of your love for Debbie Gibson. That's why you're going to hell, Eric. But not, not, not because of your your atheist views. I gave both you guys the window to say, "Why do you hate God?" And neither of you guys took. No, because I because I don't. I mean, that's look, I I. People who know me know that I'm I'm a churchgoer. I, 
you know, that is, that is something that I personally believe I am a believer, but like my best friend is an atheist and, but he and I both, both are, are big believers in what the universe is like, you know, there's, there are certain moralistic things that you can be a churchgoer or you can be an atheist. And there's just certain things where you go, this is what's right. Like, this is how you treat people. And I don't have to be a believer or, you know, in order to subscribe to those beliefs. So I, I think it's just, it's all about just respect. And that's, that's the one thing that I think that, uh, um, I just wish that we had more of in our world is just mutual respect of, look, you can believe what you want to believe. And that's cool. As long as you respect what, what my beliefs are, we can do that. You're here. Yeah, we can. Right on. The three of us can. Well, it's murky. Yeah. Well, (laughs) yeah, but I think, I think you can extend that and you, and you know that. Even if it is just a, a simple thing of giving a couple bucks to somebody who's who is holding "I'm a homeless and I need food" type of sign, that you're you're ex, you're extending that beyond the three of us. Oh, I meant the uh, the, the rest of the world wasn't as good as us. I, I guess you missed my point. <laughs> okay, all right. Well, that's that's good too. All right, all right. I'm done preaching. Yeah, yeah, it's great. And that's, uh, and again, that's, that's reflective of the quality of this work that here we are 50 years later talking about this two and a half minute song and the depths of it, and the meanings of it, right? It's incredible. Yeah. yeah. All right. Let's get some scores. Eric, you already said this was your one, right? This is my one. Well, you're wrong. No, I'm just <laughs> you're going to hell. <laughs> you're going to hell for that score. <laughs> That's what I was saying. I'm surprised. I'm surprised. Neither of you said to me, "Like, why do you hate God?" Because I said, "Why do you hate children?" Uh, Wayne, what you got? I gave it a six. Like I say, I think it had to do with uh, what oh, no. more of more of what, how it fit into what he was what he was doing in the overall concept. And then, like I say, the musically, it's it's much more it's accessible. This is this, and the single versions of this was even more accessible, um, and something you would hear on radio, but. Okay. And this That's is cool. this is my four. All right. Next song is Mercy Mercy Me. Like I say, like I said, 
this is a heavy hitter of the of the oh my god i mean this is a guy with a legendary career and a ton of amazing songs and this one is is it just he knocked it out of the park agreed and i i think how good is this song i was just gonna say how good is the sax solo on this one What's funny is so I I okay. have mixed feelings about it, but as a, and once again because I think it's kind of it's got this reedy almost like like quacking duck type feel to it. It doesn't. It's not. I mean, it's it's not the strongest solo I've ever heard. But okay, hold 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 later hold on in the week up. as I the more I listen to it, the more I felt like it fit because ducks are part of the ecology. I think. I I was just gonna say <laughs> so so Wayne, what's your what's your feelings about? The sax and careless whisper. Oh, that's 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 the best dirty sax ever ever played. That's that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. That's kind of the the the, the feel that I get for for this sax hole. It's not, you know, it's not. Uh, it's not dirty. I don't know. I was just going to say it's it's not it's not dirty, but it's it's definitely uh, it's catchy, and I totally remember it. So. And that and the 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 sax solo that is one of the Funk Brothers, Wild Bill Moore. Hmm. If you wanted to know, yeah, right on. Yeah, I mean, this is incredible. I think this is one of the first songs to sing about the environment in such like stark terms. Like, I was trying to think of anything before this. There probably is, but you know, not nearly as not as pointed as this, right? Like, if you were to ask me what's the first song on the topic, I half the point to this till somebody come up with something better yeah uh and yeah i i mentioned it earlier like the um the the background singers are called the andantes right i'm not sure if i'm saying that right but you know there are points in here where they you know they're again he's using his voice and the, his different voicings and stuff right then then he uses them as a, he's he's doing his own backgrounds but then he has additional backgrounds that we just think of as the choir. It's these voices here. Right. Yeah. And at times, and, and maybe it's me looking into it more in a way, but uh, you know, if he's singing about the earth and there's these, these strong female voices uh, weeping almost, right. Like to me, that's mother earth just weeping, right. Like it's, you know, uh, I think this is super heavy. This, I mean, yeah. How good is this song? Yeah, I know that, right. that's I, yeah. uh, I just keep going back to how good is this song? Um, singles, singles chart number four, uh, number one on the R&B singles chart. So I know you want to sell singles back in the day. I always thought that having a, a song um, this was this on the record clocks in at three minutes, 17 seconds. Like I want a five to six minute version of this song. Yeah, I share that same sentiment. Every time I hear it and I see the time, I'm like, "Oh, come on, man! You know why is this not the seven and a half minute song?" Yeah. Did yeah. Did you guys listen to the single version? I believe so. Yes. It's It's a travesty to me because it clocks in at two minutes thirty seconds, and they fade out during the the sax. <laughs> That's inexcusable. Oh, it wasn't just me. You don't me. do that. It wasn't just me. Other people recognized uh, it. Yeah. <laughs> I just think it is the just like the opening track, what's going on, that contrast between this really smooth and soulful kind of almost this feel-good positive 
you know, vibe from the music and these very deep and serious lyrics that he, I mean, it's almost like he's lulling you into a, it's like he's got this, this silky smooth voice and buddy, you know, you find yourself, he's taught, he's telling you about, you know, the radiation under the ground and the oil in the, in the, in the ocean. And we gotta, we, we gotta fix this, but yeah. it's just this, this really great contrast. It's like a spoonful of sugar to get put down the spoonful of medicine, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, fun fact about this song, the only song ever covered by former cast members of both 21 Jump Street and The Cosby Show. What? <laughs> wow. Uh, I don't ever want to hear the 21 Jump Street version. That's got to be. Oh, it's a. Uh, it's Holly Robinson uh, saying it, and, okay. and uh, Malcolm Malcolm Jamal Warner, for the record, uh, a version of this as well. No, <laughs> no, yeah. I don't. I don't want to hear that. I do. I do have a fun personal uh, kind of detour. Okay. I, 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 once upon a time, I put on a concert that was an all star tribute to Marvin Gaye, and I had a, an incredible house band. Doug Wimbish from Living Color was the sort of musical director, and he. And Paul Pesco and just awesome musicians and stuff, and and then I would book singers, right? So I had Darlene Love, awesome. uh, Corey Glover, um, Sarah Dash from LaBelle, and Don Robinson from In Vogue. And Don Robinson sang this one at that event, and it was killer. Um, I do have a video of it somewhere. I should post it, but uh, yeah, every time I hear this, I, I go back and listen to Don singing this because it was so good. Are you still putting on concerts? Uh, no, not lately. It's been, uh, well, I guess I did one this year, but, uh, that series was for epilepsy awareness and I, yeah. I didn't also attribute to Sam cook and yeah, I, I it got to be really expensive. <laughs> so, um, and I, it was, it was a nonprofit endeavor and it was all out of pocket. I wasn't, yeah. A, um, yeah, I wasn't a five, one C three or anything. I was just trying to break even, which never happened once <laughs> so. which is why we stick to podcasting and not uh not that so but the show was absolutely incredible yeah. darlene love saying ain't no mountain high enough duet with Corey. Mm. like that day uh like i've kind of known Corey for a few years and that day um earlier in the day it was like me and Corey and my dad, my dad has kind of got to know him a little bit as well. And Corey's like, man, your son's got me working today, singing like six songs or whatever, right? And I was like, who do you want to not duet with? Sarah Dash, Darlene Love, it was Danelia Cotton, John Robbins. He's like, yeah, you're right. Yeah, do all yeah. you shut and up. And then he sang, you know, let's, right. And he sang, let's get it on. And it was crazy. Anyway. Yeah. Good stuff. So, all right. Yeah. Should we get Thanks it? for letting me share. Absolutely. <laughs> it's one of my war stories I like to talk about whenever I get an opportunity. Absolutely. All right. Um, I'm going to feel bad for my score. Uh, this is my seven, and it should be a nine. But, Wayne? It's also a seven. I, I mean, the, the the two songs ahead of it are – they you, Solid. Yeah. You, to get ahead of this, you have to you have to bring your A game, and I think that he really did. He did here, too, but I just had to make a choice. Yep. Agreed. Agreed. This is my seven as well. Ooh, look at us all agreeing. <laughs> you know, when we when we get to the end, maybe the most inter- interesting thing is really which, which one became our six. Because seven, eight, nine are all the same three, right? Yeah. 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 Well, yeah. We'll, we'll we'll get there. All right. Uh, this is right on. Hey.
Wayne, what you got on uh, right on? I will number one. I will say this: if this song was five minutes long, it would have been my number six. It is. This is Black Magic Woman. Heard it through the grapevine, and that uh, I looked up, and I believe that instrument that's making that twisting sound is a kibasa. I'm not positive, but uh, this. It just, you know, the piano and the, the flute is in this one. The horn section comes in and out. Everything up to the five minute mark is great. I don't even know what he's saying most of the time. I had to read the lyrics because the music is so powerful. But then he falls off into kind of that that dreamy stuff that he's did on uh, Save the Children and Holy Holy and even a little to to a large extent on uh, flying in the friendly skies, so uh, that's where it lost me. Is when is he 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 had all this great musical musicality going on, and and these lyrics about the haves and the have-nots, and then he went he went somewhere, and I thought he was going to come back, and then he and he and he did a little bit at the end towards the about the forty-five seconds left. He kind of goes back into the into the Latin rhythms and the whole thing. But that, that, that diversion killed it. I love a good kielbasa, especially with some sauerkraut. <laughs> what did you call it? It's it's a I, I heard not, there's kielbasa not an and I got, yeah. and I got hungry all of a sudden. So yeah, yeah that, I knew that you were going to bring that up. Cause I'm like, this is going to totally get in Wayne's ear hole. And he's just going, he's going to say something about it. Like, like he can't say anything about tambourines if it, if it comes up. So he just has to talk about the tambourine. So I knew yeah. it was going to come up. Yeah. Are you ta- are you talking about that like percussion like wood blocky thing? Yes. Got the grooves where they drag it. It's like yeah, you twist it. Yeah. yeah. You can shake it or you can twist. I actually watched YouTube videos on somebody playing it to make sure that that was the instrument. <laughs> I thought. Oh, I thought they were called like a gear gyro or something. What did you say it was? A kibasa that I, it reminded what it reminded me of, and the reason I started looking up is uh, there's a Bill Wyman plays a it's like I want to say it's a Shakir in Sympathy for the Devil. It's really along the same lines as that, and but it it also sounds like something that's in Black Magic Woman by uh, yeah. Santana. So yeah, I went yeah I went down a whole thing trying to find this instrument, <laughs> and I believe it is a kibasa. You right need to on. stop saying that because every time you do, I'm getting hungry. Stop it. Mm. You kill me. We're gonna call it a wood block. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna get hungry if you say wood block. <laughs> the percussion instrument, the, <laughs> the the aforementioned percussion instrument. <laughs> Eric, what do you got on right on? Uh, I I agree with Wayne that the it's the length kind of loses me a bit. Yeah. You know, I I I think what he's going for is a vibe. And, you know, if I'm if I'm hearing this, I'm fine with it. But if I'm listening to it, it kind of loses me. If that makes any sense. Um, But I mean, there are fun changes in here. There's, you know, there's more dirty horn, which is cool. There's some dynamics and uh, little known and untrue fact. That's Ian Anderson on the flute. It is. okay. I go. did not know. I said little known. I said little known and untrue fact. <laughs> I know. I know. I, I know. I heard I, the untrue part. I didn't yeah, catch yeah. that. Okay. Gotcha. Got too okay. excited. <laughs> Sucker. Uh, yeah. Let's get some scores on this. So what do you got for right on, Wayne? Uh, four. I mean, musically, it was the strongest song right up until the five-minute mark. 
I have it as a four as well. And I should also throw, I did. So you said you didn't do your homework on this one, but I did some, and Wayne went down his YouTube rabbit hole. I did some mathematical homework and okay. the percentage of songs that Marvin Gaye starts off with. Hey baby is 17%. <laughs> That's fantastic. Okay. That's I'm kidding. I made that. It's <laughs> probably a safe this, guess, right? And I, you know, it's funny. I didn't believe him because I, I didn't want to get fooled twice. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, but if you had to, if you had to guess, what percentage of Marvin songs start off with "Hey baby"? I would have said seventeen percent. Yeah, it sounded so, perfect. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds about right, right? Yeah, it sounds good. Right? It sounds good. Uh, all right, leads us to "Holy Holy." And, did you uh, give your number on right on? Did you give? Your oh, number I right did. On? Did I not? Uh, this is my four as well. Okay. Yeah, which leads us to "Holy Holy." This is where Eric can say to the believer, why do you hate God? Because of your number one score on this, Ben. So go ahead, Eric, say it. Uh, I mean, he's caused a lot of wars, you know, <laughs> exploitation, guilt. Yeah. All this, that stuff. Um, yeah. Violence. This song just doesn't do much for me. Um, even though I know, like I, I saw in the research, he's... He's singing the background vocals himself. He's got that that, mm. that whole call and response thing. That's you know pre- pretty pretty safe to say that he got that from singing in the church choirs back in the day. But I don't know. Song's just really boring to me. Like I I would have been okay with uh, cutting a couple minutes off a of ride on and just going right into the, the the end song. So that's just me though. I wouldn't go that far. I agree with what you said, but I would not remove it because I think what Wayne said earlier also applies here, which is, you know, the hope spot that we get with God is love, right? Yeah. We get that here as well. You know what I mean? And without it, the the record just, it just, you know, sinks under the weight of the, you know, the bleakness of it. Right. So, um, you know, like if you're telling a story, I'm going to nerd out here for a second for you. <laughs> like if, in, 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 in professional wrestling, I'm going to compare professional oh, wrestling oh, to Marvin Gaye's. Oh, like right? They, they, there were moments where you know the bad guy is beating down the good guy, right? The crowd's like cheering for the good guy to come back, right? The good guy stands up and throws a punch, but then the bad guy cuts him off, right? They call that a hope spot, right? It gets the crowd like, yeah, it gets them like you know, kind of builds the excitement up, right? So there are hope spots in this record, which is God is love and holy, holy, right? It's giving you. It's giving you, you know, things to to grab onto, you know, to lift you out of these, you know, these uh, dark uh, topics and subjects, right? That could seem, you know, hopeless. Does that make any sense? I like it. Perfect sense. Yeah. No, I I, I get it. Yeah, I like it. Um, it doesn't change my score. It's still my one, but I, I like it. I, I, I see where you're going with this. Like if you're telling a story, you have to have moments where you know where, whatever, where Luke Skywalker no, does. Yeah, that's what you gotta do. Yeah. 
All right, Wayne, what what you got for a score on this? Uh, it's uh, it's the deuce. I I mean, I thought musically it had um, a little bit better than than Save the Children, but it was the same. I had the same feelings as as Eric had on God is Love. I mean, I think he's it's a little over the top. I don't know that Jesus so much uh, as his followers and his dad have have caused plenty plenty of trouble around here. All right, yeah, and then. Eric, what do you got? I have this as my three. And there's, you know, to put it into context, you mentioned his dad, right? So there's, he still is wrestling with that part of himself, right? So maybe he's, yeah. you know, maybe he's putting that out to convince himself. Maybe he's putting it out to, you know, quell the uh, violent nature of his father, right? Or criticisms from his father, right? Like there could be, you know, and again, my 2020, you know, white guy, atheist eyes see these songs differently than, you know, probably someone in the black church in 1971 would see these songs. You know, no yeah. question about it. Um, but I will say this about Holy Holy. This song is clearly a prelude to Let's Get On because he's talking about coming together. Which... <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Did I, did I blow your rating there? I'm sorry if I did. No, no, okay. it's still a one. It's still a one. Uh, all right, let's wrap this up. Here's the last song. This is Inner City Blues. Make me want to. was as i told you this was nominated for a grammy which he didn't win how good is the bass line in the song <laughs> yeah and the and the yeah, percussion that's... in the song and if you do, and if you don't know who the bassist is that's one of the funks this is james jamerson who is arguably the greatest bass player of all time accurate yeah yeah he's up there no question. And the percussion is Bobby Hall, one of the greatest percussionists ever. She was, uh, yeah. like, if you know, like, uh, the Withers stuff, she played on, you know, any awesome percussion like this is probably going to be Bobby Hall. And she only plays on this one song, which kills me because, you know, there's great congos and all the other stuff. But, man, I would love to have heard her take on some of those songs. Now, do you guys, you guys know the legend of James Jamerson on this song? Go for it. So, so the so the legend on this is uh, Marvin found James Jamerson playing in a local club. Told him that he needed to come over to to uh, Hitsville to to record. 
uh, Jamerson was too drunk and too tired to sit upright in his chair because that's what he he did. He he sat in a chair. That was that was his his thing. Um, so he he laid down on the floor, looked at the core charts that that Gay had put together, and he ended up playing the whole song on the floor on his back. Awesome. So, and, and keep in mind back in those days, this was not, this was not where they spliced everything together. No, they were recording this live, the whole band together. And I, and I, I'm curious how many takes it, it took them to, to get this, but, um, yeah. So there's, there's the, there's the little story of, of James Jamerson on this song. Mm -hmm. And I am embarrassed to say that I thought about scoring another song on this record as my top song. And then uh, I listened to it last night in my headphones instead of just over my stereo speakers. And good gosh, this is just ear candy to me. This song is so good. Yeah, I I, I never. Yeah, I, this is one of my this is probably my favorite Marvin Gaye song. I just love I, and I say the my first notes are the percussion and the bass. They really, they just really put this, they build this vehicle that he, that he's vocals just glide along on. And once again, this really cool, this has a little more of a, 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 a little bit more darker kind of feel to it, but these super gritty lyrics that just tell this, you know, you can feel the struggle just from these, these lyrics. It's just, this is one of, this is, this is a, as good as any song that's ever been written. Yeah. You're here. Yeah. I like what you said, Wayne, that, that, that it starts off with just those like real stark keyboards, right? Just those chords. They're like, they're foreboding. Right. And then, you know, Bobby Hall sort of slides in and use, I think he used the word glide. His vocals just come in. Right. Um, yeah. So good. Um, and it, it starts off with him doing the scatting, right? We didn't talk about him scatting. Da, 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 da. like yeah. it's coming in like that right um and i think you know we're talking about barry gordy like pushing back on what's going on being a single and stuff i think there's you know folklore about him pushing back on the scatting because it wasn't you know come on man that's not cool or whatever but could you hear any of these songs without that um, you know no yeah i mean it's critical um yeah and i and i will say this i i don't know i don't think we've given him enough love for the lyrics um because i mean look wayne we just got done doing uh an episode on acting baby where you know every single song there are some some great lyrics on this i think that there's some good play on words here you know he's, he's talking about make me want to holler and throw up both my hands so that makes it sound like it's a celebration and then yeah it makes me want to holler throw up both my hands Crime is increasing, trigger happy policing, panic is spreading. Um, he's not putting up his hands up in celebration at that point. His his hands are being thrown up in the air because there's probably a white policeman who's who's telling him hands up. Yeah, yeah. true. So I just think I just think that that's just lyrically it's it's um, it's powerful. Yeah, I'm gonna add to that. I always hear. Uh, making my heart throw out my hands is frustration, right? So it's neither celebration yeah. nor like a, a, a reaction to a state uh, 
police state or whatever, but just frustration. Like, you know, he's singing about, you know, the opening lines are like, it's about income inequality, right? He's saying, you know, moonshots, uh, you know, can't, yeah. uh, can't spend it on the have nots. Right. Um, he's talking about this, this, again, this disparity between, you know, the shiny thing you see on TV or whatever, and what you see at your window. Right. So, you know, uh, I, it's like primal scream, make me want to holler. That's the way I always heard that. Well, surely things have changed in the last 50 years <laughs> in regards to that. Right. Boy, that's, that's such a point, man. Yeah, like you program. So I guess there's that. That's true. Now we have space force now, but there's, there's, um, I mean, literally we have space force and we have 500,000 people declaring bankruptcy because they can't afford healthcare. Right. So yeah, ridiculous. Um, yeah. I mean, what a great point, like 50 years and the, the three songs that we rank as number three have not lost an ounce of, uh, not a bit pertinence, not one bit. Right. Yeah. yeah. Crazy. Nope. We suck. <laughs> and and i just love i love the last lyrics you know ag- again going back to there's a number of songs on here where you've got that hopeful um a hopeful connotation yeah the last lyrics of you know who are they to judge us simply because we wear our hair long um that's the parting shot that's that's the last of it yeah, from what's going on, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Fantastic song. Yeah. And it we were talking about being continuous, right? There are certain records that have that thing where they get to the end and they reprise the first track, and that's what he's doing, right? Which, like, it's, you know, you want to go back and drop the needle back to what's going on, and, and the cycle repeats, right? Life goes on, the struggle continues. It just starts over again and resumes. It kind of never ends, it seems. Yeah. Clearly, that's the case. Yeah, and it's a perfect fade out mm. after you're talking about that reprise. Where after after it was done, I was like, "I'm gonna go listen to this again." Yeah, you have to. Yeah, you have to. Uh, um, let's get some scores. This is my top song, Wayne. This is my top song, Eric. I I had this at eight, but it but it could have easily been interchangeable as your top song. Yeah, it's it's hard on this one. Yeah. yeah. So this is the part where I usually say, "Did we miss anything? Did we uh, did we did we do right by by uh, what's going on?" I I think so. I mean, I think I could I could ramble on about this record for days. There have been books written about this record, so you know, in the interest of time and not boring the. Uh, clown horn out of your audience uh i think uh, i think we did that justice yeah. and i appreciate the opportunity to to prattle on about one of my favorite records so thank you Ab- absolutely all right so let's let's figure out our top five so with a average score of 8.66 inner city blues what's going on 8.33 so neck and neck on that um Guesses on number three. Mercy, mercy, mercy. Yeah, that that was that was a that was a <laughs> setup there. Uh, how about number four? Oof. High, flying high. Flying high was not in our top five. Mm. What's happening, brother? What's was happening, four brother? and 
Right on was fifth. Our lowest score. Holy, holy. Mm. Not not surprising. But I don't hate God. Just so you know. <laughs> so. <laughs> uh, all right. This was fun. Yeah. Eric, thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for yeah. having me. I appreciate it. Like I said, uh, you know, one of the coolest things about doing podcasting is, you know, making friends like you guys, talking about music that we've, you know, listened to maybe alone our whole lives or whatever, right? And exploring it, getting new perspectives. You guys, you know, certainly gave me uh, food for thought as I re-listened to it. I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, thinking of these in different ways. So I appreciate it. Yeah. Cool. Likewise. Yeah. Likewise. Yeah, absolutely. I'm uh, I'm very appreciative of the the community of of podcasters that uh, that I found. Um, you know, I don't think I've given you enough kudos for you know I I, I listened to to your podcast well before I launched my own, um, and I you know in the early stages where I was thinking about doing a podcast. Um, I threw out a couple questions to Craig and you guys were always so, uh, so generous with your time and being, being willing to, to answer truthfully on, on all of our podcast questions. So, um, it's just, yeah, it's a great community that we've, we've got of, uh, us fellow nerd music, nerd podcasters. So it's, it's good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's good stuff. Except for, except for John Lamoureux. Yeah. Except for except for John, of course, that's a given. But, but he is a curio in the podcasters department, so <laughs> yes, I have yes. to throw his I have to throw his word out there all the time. Yeah. So uh, this is usually the part where I go. Um, so who do you know that I don't know that would want to come on our podcast to talk about their favorite record? But you know, we've already had uh, John on, and oh, I got some people. Craig seems to be busy with his monkey's book, so we won't ask Craig to come on. Plus, I don't know if Craig could follow our PG-13 language mantra. <laughs> he could. He could. <laughs> I have enough trouble with it. Yeah. Yeah, Wayne Wayne salivated at our the, the last episode that we recorded because um, uh, uh, Matt <laughs> did not censor himself so wayne was like no if matt's gonna throw the f-bombs i can too so cool cool i thought that was the rule yeah okay whatever (laughs) anyways what 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 were you saying eric of you you got some people yeah i got plenty of suggestions um yeah the first one that comes to mind uh, do you know julian gill from the kiss faq no He's a big Zodiac Mind Warp fan, which seems like such a niche thing. And I'm always like trying to think, like, can I get, can I find another, can I get an opportunity for my friend Julian to talk about Zodiac Mind Warp? I don't even know what that yeah, is. What, what, what is that? Uh, it was kind of like a medley thing from the late 80s, early 90s, if I remember. Like, uh, in my mind, I could be way off. It's like a, like a green jello. Remember that? Yeah. Like the kind of, kind of guar. Okay. Um, style like they were they were you know white zombie-ish in the early white zombie days there's that uh there's um andy shaw he's great he's got a wide uh, variety of tastes that's uh john lamoureux's uh friend yep um our buddy jeff harris out in uh on the west coast he 
has a massive uh, taste of music. Uh, Mr. Brian Jacobs is always on our show. Oh, he's yeah. a bit hard scheduling wise, but um, you know he's he's always knowledgeable and thoughtful on on the things he he loves and passionate. Uh, Brad Page, get Brad Page on. Oh, I would love to have Brad Page on. I love that. I love. Uh, I'm in love with that song podcast. I know he he give, he would make me nervous, oh, man. man. He would make me nervous, like I, I, like it would be one of those uh, John Lamoureau takes over the, your six pack episodes. That that would be Brad. I would just I would just go, Brad, just go ahead. You talk about this song because well, I'm love, sure you I have. Also, like, I also love that he's an early Kiss fan. He was into Kiss when uh, he's a little bit older than me, but uh, right. that's how he kind of. I'd heard him say on one of his podcasts. That's how he got into music because he was into comic books yeah. and kiss kind of crossed that that but i just the episode on space oddity by david bowie was that's like I, I think i might have listened to it twice yeah. I, just, I love it yeah so good yeah. i just had him on one of the one of my rush six packs it was john lamro and, and brad and brad had the last pick and you know usually like i'll say brad what's your next pick and then he'll talk about it and then i'll say john what do you think of this song and then he'll say something and i'll say brad why don't you give us an intro right like Brad gave such a solid like explanation for it, I didn't even bother like throwing it to John. I was like, "John, do you have anything?" I'm John. Unless you have something better, I'm gonna cut it there. And he's like, "He's like, no, man, I can't, I can't top that." You know, no. it was like Brad, Brad Page can't follow you, man. So, <laughs> yeah, what Wayne said is right. We're just like, "Hey, Brad, what do you think of this?" And he just sit back and listen. Yeah, I know. We we you know? we we keep. Uh the 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 goal is to keep all of the episodes at least under two two hours and 30 minutes that's kind of like the 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 goal because we've we've had a couple episodes that have gone like super long and so i'm always trying to like edit a little bit for content just to keep it at 230 if we had brad for any album i just feel like it would be like i'd have to split it up into three different episodes of two hours and 30 minutes long you know and i think if you gave him a time yeah. he would he would yeah. hit it he's good with that um and you know what craig would craig would be into it you just got to kind of catch him schedule wise but if you you know he loves uh ben folds five he loves porcupine tree stephen wilson um if you approach him with one of those yeah. uh he, i'm sure he'd be he'd be down and he'd be, he'd be PG thirteen, and he would he would not uh, bark at it too much. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, the 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 good news the good news is we are so stacked with guests for the next two months that I I uh, I'm beside myself with our good fortune lately. So I'm uh, very very appreciative of where where we're at. And again, I I. Uh, I thank some of my fellow podcasters who have really been mentors and helped us get, get to this level. So, and you're one of them. So thank you very much. I appreciate that. And ask Craig for tragic kingdom. No doubt. He'd be down for that. Okay. Throwing it out. Yeah. Throwing it out. Wayne, Wayne, Wayne's down for that one. There's, there's some holes in that one for me, but uh, Uh, yeah, there's small holes. I can say the, the, my lowest, ranked song on that one would be the probably the the one song that they had that went to number one right ah right. yeah all right yeah. Well, let's wrap this up so um eric where where can people find uh all the happenings of the pods and sods network uh if you just google pods and sods network podsodcast.com is our website 
find us on iTunes. Uh, not on Spotify anymore, apparently. Um, really? You can uh, find us on Facebook. Yeah. I think every podcast got pulled off of uh, Spotify unless you pay or something. Oh, interesting. So, I, I guess yeah. I guess I should go check. When when did that happen? Uh, news of the day, like yesterday, I think was. Wow. Okay. Interesting. All right. Well, then that really changes my outro because I was going to say you can find <laughs> us on all the major platforms, including Spotify. So there you go. <laughs> all right. Um, thanks for listening. Please go support the arts. Go to a live show. Buy a t-shirt of the band, buy a record, visit a record store, and not just on Record Store Day. We are Records Revisited, and we are out. 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 Out.